All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're listening to Oilers Nation Radio, presented by The Nation Network. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Oilers Nation Radio, courtesy of our friends at Sherwood Ford the Giant. It is episode 93. It is the Nugent Hopkins episode. We're going to do a little bit of a tribute. We're going to do a little bit of a... Thank you. We're going to do a little bit of a tribute to Ryan Nugent Hopkins in a couple of minutes. But first, we want to thank our friends at Sherwood Ford for making this all possible. Check them out on Twitter, at Sherwood Ford, and on Instagram, at Sherwood Ford underscore the Giants. Mr. Uremchuk, mm-hmm. let's start off with the Sherwood Ford Giant Question of the Week. As I like to do, I like to crowdsource ideas for the articles I write. And the article I'm writing is about the flat salary cap, which we're going to get to in a little bit here. But as I'm kind of going through this and looking at the Oilers roster, who could be moved and all that, the one name I keep coming back to is Matt Benning. And he's the focus of this week's Sherwood Ford Giant Armchair Question of the Week, combining two segments and making one. The question is, do you think Matt Benning will be an Oiler a year from now? Not would you like to see Matt Benning be an Oiler a year from now, but do you think he will be? If you could make that prediction, look into a crystal ball of sorts. Do you think the Oilers keep him around? Or do you think Ken Holland looks at a guy who is a fine NHL player? He's a good NHL player. If he's on your third pairing, I think your blue line is really solid. But he's making 1.9. His qualifying offer would have to be more than $2 million. And he's a third pairing right shot defenseman on this team. And it's a spot that could potentially be taken by, you know, maybe it's Russell or Jones playing their offside, which wouldn't be great. Or a guy like Evan Bouchard. So that is the short for giant question. I don't know who wants to handle it first, but I will uh, open it up to the floor here. I'll, I'll start on this one. I, I mean, if we're talking about dollars, then it would make sense 
to trade Matt Benning. He's a restricted free agent. Like Tyler said, he's going to get uh, he's going to need to get a little bit more than two million bucks with his qualifying offer. He does have, I would imagine, a steady defender like Matt Benning, who's got some at bats in the NHL at this point, would have some trade value. So I could see why you would move a guy like Benning, but the problem I have with it is then you have to create a situation where you have a guy playing on his off wing or Bouchard has to jump into the NHL maybe before Ken Holland wants him to. I mean, it's it's too bad that Rick's not here today. He's got some uh, stuff going on with the pint. But um, we know that Ken Holland doesn't like to rush prospects into the mm-hmm. NHL. So to me, that just kind of means by default that Bouchard would stay down in the AHL until he kind of kicks the door in like Taylor Yamamoto did around New Year's. Does that make sense? I don't know. Because like you said, with the flat cap, it's going to be really tough to get everybody under. Like Darnell Nurse's new deal kicks in. Ethan Bear's got a new contract. Of course, we're going to talk about Ryan Newton Hopkins needing a new deal here right away. So I wouldn't trade him. However, I don't know that the math won't allow for them to make that choice. Yeah, I think that uh, you kind of touched on it there at the end, Milk. It's We're heading into a different world now. Uh, even even just a couple weeks ago, we didn't know what the cap situation was going to look like. And now more and more, it's looking like it's going to be three years of nothing changing from the number side of things. So I think that it's going to force a lot of GMs like Ken Holland, who haven't wanted to rush in guys, to be looking at your guys on ELCs as as spot fillers that aren't necessarily the best player to play in that position for you, but the money is just going to make so much more sense than it would for a Matt Benning right now. Um, or possibly he's going over to Europe and looking at more guys that, you know, you just give a shot to see if they, they fit in there. And then maybe you don't have to rush a, an Evan Bouchard up into the, or a Samorikov up into the, uh, to the NHL ranks. But I, I think that you're going to probably see a lot more teams letting contracts like Matt Benning's expire because they're not going to be able to, they're probably not going to be able to find a lot of deals for a, a Benning that's going to make sense for them. Um, unless a team is looking at Benning and saying they have a second pairing defenseman in that guy. So I think that, yeah, it's, it's, it's not likely that he comes back to this team um, or is back on this team after his contract expires. Yeah, what do you think, Tyler? It's, it's unfortunate because he's a local guy. I like the style of play he has. Like, there's so many reasons to want Matt Benning to stay here, and there's so many reasons to want a defenseman like Matt Benning on your roster. But then you kind of look at the facts about the the money side of things, and is that going to work? And you know, some people thought Bouchard could be ready for NHL minutes this past season. So I, I don't think it's an I don't think it's an unreasonable expectation to say, hey, he might be able to slide up into the NHL. What if it's you know the other side of this is Matt Benning's trade value, right? You're you're probably going to try deal off a guy like Chris Russell for whatever just to get rid of his money. And apart from that, if you want to go get a decent third line center and upgrade that hole in the lineup you're probably going to have to do it via trade. And if you're trading for a player who makes X amount of dollars, you're going to have to let go of a guy who makes X amount of dollars. So you look at someone like Benning, who you know is going to be making probably two, $2.1, $2.2 million. And he's has the trade value of being a fairly young, right-shot defenseman with decent offensive instincts. So you might be able to get a decent amount for him. Like I've thrown this trade proposal out there a handful of times, but what if you took Matt Benning and you went to a team like Ottawa? who the only two right shots on their roster when the season ended were Nikita Zaitsev and Ron Hainsey. Like, they're a team that could probably benefit from an added right shot. A guy like Chris Tierney is 26 years old, can be your, a really good third-line center. 
and is an RFA. Like, would a, a swap like that for Matt Benning, where you're not trading him for picks or anything like that, but you're finding a team who could use a right-shot defenseman, and there's a lot of them, and you're flipping him for that third-line centerpiece you need and just kind of shifting your dollars from the third pair to the third line and banking on some ELCs being able to help you out. Uh, they're going to have to cost cut costs somewhere. There's lots of hard decisions to be made, and I just think Benning might be one of those hard decisions in the next 12 months that has to be let go. If we're talking about the 2020-2021 season, whenever that actually starts, yeah. I would much rather the Oilers and Ken Holland hang on to Matt Benning even with his qualifier, and try to get rid of Alex Chason. Basically, the money would be a wash. The trade value on Chason wouldn't be as high as Benning. I, I completely agree with that. But he's a veteran guy who is only going to be in your bottom six and maybe a little bit of power play time. Like if We're looking at dollars, which is going to be the Oilers' problem here, especially with the fact flat cap over the next, what is it, three seasons? Two seasons, and then it goes up one mil in that third year or something like that. So that's, they're going to be tight. They're going to be really tight, and they're going to have to make these decisions. So to me, you know, at the moment, Alex Chason's 29 years old. He's not going to be a part of the future in terms of the long term. I'm not saying Matt Benning is either. But if we're looking at next season and keeping a guy like Bouchard off the roster, just, you know, because that's what Ken Holland likes to do. Yeah. I think that's the route I would take personally. Yeah, and back to Chase on, like you were talking about players in the American Hockey League who could step up to this team next year. What does Alex Chase on do well? He's a good five on five contributor, and, or sorry, he's an average five on five contributor, and he's good on the power play. Okay, well, you know what? You have James Neal who can probably handle the power play stuff, so you don't need Chase on. When it comes to five on five, if you can find a team that's going to give you a fifth round pick for Alex Chase on, maybe that value is too low. I don't know, but I'm just, if you can get a pick for Chase on, and you replace him with Tyler Benson on the roster for his ELC, that could be the easiest way to save yourself $1.2, $1.3 million next season. So I agree, like, Benning would be last resort, but again, in a year where it's a flat cap, how hard is it going to be to trade a guy like Chase on or trade a guy like Russell when not a lot of teams have money to spend on expensive vets? It's going to be hard, man. I Like, the interesting part is Bob McKenzie tweeted out earlier this week that it doesn't look like there's going to be any compliance buyouts on this. Um, so that's going to make, and he admits it. He's like the economics of hockey, a compliance buyout doesn't help the owners at all. It does help the GM get out of mistakes, but it doesn't help the owners and they're not making any money. So do they really want to spend money on guys that aren't going to be there anymore? And as we know, the Oilers have plenty of tied up dead space anyway. The 2020-2021 season, courtesy of Puckpedia.com, they have $4.58 million tied up in dead cap space. And that hurts. That hurts. That's that's basically um, both. I mean, give or take. My math's bad. That's both Benning and Chase on that is tied up in just nothing. So, I don't know, man. It's going to be weird, especially this idea of not having any compliance buyouts to try and make some moves like because then it would be I think we would all agree probably right that James Neal would be an easy one then you save yourself some money there and then you you kind of move on but with that option not at all on the table man I I, the I I wouldn't want to be Ken Holland right now in terms of how this is going to work because he's got some players that are that you know are going to make some money and deservedly so like Ethan Bear and like I said Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Andreas Athenishu needs a new contract for 2020-2021 so like 
what are you going to do there? Do you trade a guy like Athanasiu to save that three million bucks or whatever to try and save some money there? This is all weird. This is all weird, and I'm glad that we get to talk about it on a podcast and try to swing and make guesses rather than yeah. actually having to make the decision. Yeah, no kidding. Like, there's no other way to put it. They're in cap hell, man. Like, it's they have they're basically gonna have ten million dollars next season to go out and sign. They need a goaltender in there. You need to sign Ethan Bear, Andreas Athanasiu, Matt Benning, Riley Shahan if you want him back, Tyler Ennis if you even want him back. Like the list goes on and on. And then you go, man, they got to do all of that with just ten million dollars. Something's got to give here. Holland has to find a way to make almost another miracle trade like he did last summer. Well, and I mean, I that, sorry, go ahead, Dan. I was just going to say, like, I think I think that the thing that we're kind of forgetting though is that. And I have to remind myself of is that date, uh, November the first. Money just isn't going to be flying like it was in the past. So deals are going to be more savvy. Taylor Hall is not going to make, you know, six million dollars this year as a free agent. I, I shouldn't say that for sure because obviously there will be a team that that might be able to do that. But but I think that I think that we're going to see a, a real shift in a lot of valuation of players too in in free agency and. You know, guys are going to have to take take the hit because teams just aren't going to be able to free wheel the money. The Oilers aren't alone. I think that's the one kind of thing that I'm taking away from this is that the Oilers aren't alone. All the teams that are at the top of the competitive scale are going to be in the same kind of cap situation as the Oilers are in. Um, we're in a good spot because we have our superstars tied up uh, long term. Thanks, Peter Shirelli, for that. But also, like you said, we, we do have the issues of dead money and, and that kind of thing. But I think that there's there's just so many moving parts to this. In the past, we could all just say, well, you know, Ken Holland could have shifted shipped James Neal off to a to a, a team that was trying to reach the cap floor for a draft pick. Now those options probably aren't available anymore. Those teams that were at the cap floor are are even less likely to spend the money because the owners don't have the money through this. And it's there's a whole of moving parts. But but yeah, it's it's. Uh, it's something to just kind of remind yourself of the fact that we're not alone in this. This is a nightmare for every single team. And I wonder, I wonder if you're going to see players like Chase on stashed in the minors just to save money, just to try and get that guy down there. And then you, you pull up a Benson and, and you save, you know, $900,000 in that situation, as opposed to the 2 million by getting rid of Chase on completely. Yeah. Like the tough part with the thing to the minors, just to nitpick on it. Cause I do think you could see like some expensive players put on waivers, but by sending Chase on down, you get that, whatever it is, $1.1 million in cap relief. And then to bring up a guy like Benson, yeah. he his cap it is what, seven hundred to 900000 yeah. on his ELC? So you're saving yourself two hundred k. Now, I know like the day-to-day calculations of the cap are incredibly confusing. So maybe <laughs> maybe you're onto something there. Like maybe in the day-to-day calculations, it would make more sense. But when I sit down to do the simple math, like I, like there's so many ways they could try to go to save themselves two three hundred $300,000. Uh, it, yeah, it'll be honestly like as fascinating as this playoff run will be and all that. I'm still excited for whenever this off season comes. Well, Dan made a good point here because I'm just looking at like a team like the Leafs. If the Oilers are in cap trouble, the Leafs are really fucked because yeah. they've got some major holes on their roster and they're not going to have any money to really spend on it. So, I mean, their defense, they're going to need two or three defensemen probably. Um, they don't really have a lot of guys signed up long term, and it, they've got the holes in their bottom six that'll need to be filled. So, like Dan said, and it's a great point, it's that a lot of teams are going to be in this going to be in this 
um, situation together. And it's going to be interesting also as for all of us that just get to talk about it and watch it and yell about stuff is how, how are these GMs going to work together on this? Because there's going to be, you know, I'm looking at Puckpedia and there's 10 teams that are just going to be like, whoa. So how are these 31 teams going to work together on this? Because they're all in the same boat. They're all going to have to comply with the cap. Is there going to have, are they going to try and institute some kind of luxury tax on going over like they do with baseball or something as a temporary measure? I don't know. Um, but it's going to be interesting because November 1st is when free agency kicks off. A guy like Taylor Hall would have been set to bank a huge, huge sum of money. And that's probably not going to happen. So we're probably going to see more short-term deals of guys just betting on themselves for a one-year, maybe a two-year contract to see how it shakes out. But with the way 2020 has gone in terms of sports, this is going to be a conversation that goes on for a long time and one that's going to be very, very interesting to watch. Yeah, you're you're bang on. It's uh, And it's not just like a hockey thing either. I think this is something that's stretching across all the sports. I think we'll see some big changes to a lot of like CBAs and things like that across all the four major sports. Well, and that's interesting too, just talking about the CBA that, you know, I'm, I'm sure we're all following along. The NHL and the players are already working on an extension on the CBA, which would be nice to see them actually get that done and then not have to worry about any lockout because you cannot have a lockout after this. That's yeah. just, it's impossible. You can't do it. So there's going to be some concessions on both sides and it's going to be interesting to see how all of this shakes out because um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I'm glad that I, I, I mean, I can barely do basic math, let alone daily calculations on salary cap. So we'll see what happens. Um, and from an entertainment standpoint, it's going to be interesting. But from like a Oilers fan standpoint, we're going to lose guys that maybe we don't want to. Yeah. And it's going to, it's going to be a bummer, but that's going to be the case for a lot of people. Um, but how so- glad are we that we brought in a Hall of Fame GM and got rid of Peter Shirelli before this all, this all hit the fan? Yeah, no kidding. Well, we're going to see, to Dan's point right now, we're going to see some GMs that are going to have to get very creative. And some that, I mean, the Puckpedia, I talked about Toronto in the Puckpedia agent survey, they said the easiest GM in the NHL to get a deal from is Kyle Dubas in Toronto. So um, (laughs) it's going to be interesting to watch how that franchise goes. I don't know. I don't know. But that... uh, that was quite the Sherwood Ford giant question of the week slash armchair GM segment, Tyler. Yeah, we just dug in there for like 20 minutes talking about the cap. That was good. We're bad at math, and we're all trying to guess how the math works. Yeah. So if you're listening to this right now, hit us up on social media, on ON Radio Podcast on Instagram. Let, let us know what you would do with the salary cap. We should, do, uh, we should do an interview with Hart from Puckpedia and get like listeners to throw in like questions about the cap and stuff, and we can do like a salary cap Q&A with Hart. Absolutely. We should definitely do that. Uh, I'll, I'll send him an email after we wrap this just to just to get that moving forward. So um, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, just speaking of salary cap stuff, um, we won't we won't be here on Monday because we record on Fridays. However, Monday would be the anniversary. July 6th, that is the anniversary of the Oilers having their offer sheet to Thomas Vanek matched by the Buffalo Sabres. (laughs) Could you imagine, like, I know this is a butterfly effect kind of thing, but like, could you imagine if that went through, that would have been four first round picks. What years would they have stretched through? 
I think they would have lost Taylor Hall and maybe Nuge. Oh, man. Oh, and now we're going to talk about potentially losing Nuge during episode 93 of the pod? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't want to, but this is episode 93 <laughs> yeah. of Oilers Nation Radio. Again, I want to thank Sherwood Ford the Giant for making this all possible. At Sherwood Ford on Twitter and at Sherwood Ford underscore the Giant. It is episode 93, so it's the Nugent Hopkins episode. As you know, president and CEO of the Ryan Nugent Hopkins fan club is me. I've been driving the bus since his draft in 2011. He was back in town. Zach Lang wrote about it at OilersNation.com yesterday. He's back on the ice. I love seeing the Nuge out there. He's got a little duster going, and I'm into it. Uh, speaking of which, Cassian, he's already rocking the playoff job. Yep. I don't know if you guys saw that, but he looks great. But Sorry, I don't I just, wanna... Big Milk, I just did the digging. We would have lost Sam Gagne, Jordan Eberle. Or no, I guess we would have lost Eberle, PRV, Taylor Hall, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Ooh, that's a that's a big that's a hefty ticket for Thomas Vanek. But I mean, Thomas Vanek would have taken us to the Stanley Cup Finals. I yeah. Think. Dan, do you have his stats? <laughs> do you have Vanek stats up open in front of you? I uh, can. Yeah, just one. Let me stall for just two seconds. While well, speaking. well, well, Dan's pulling yeah. those up um, because I remember Thomas Vanek. He he had a hell of a, it was like what Tyler? What do you think? Like two, three years where he was on an absolute heater, and then he just kind of quieted down. So while Dan's pulling yeah. those up. It is 90, episode 93 of Oilers Nation Radio, so we're going to dedicate some time to Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I actually, I'm changing my mind. I don't want to talk about the possibility of lo- keeping Nuge, uh, or losing Nuge on this podcast. Not today. We can talk about it next week, but not today. Because I started the Keep Nuge Forever hashtag, and that's what should be happening right now. So, well, Dan's pulling up the Vanek stats that we're going to talk Got about him. in a minute. I just want to know really quickly, gentlemen, what is your favorite memory or moment or thing that you like to watch when it comes to Ryan Nugent Hopkins? It, it's simple for me. It's the fact that he scores every single goal the exact same way. It's a leg up, quick snapper to the bottom corner, and then a fist pump for the celly. Leg up, fist pump for the celly. It's gorgeous, man. Like he's, he, I, On one hand, he's such a simple player, but when you watch him closely, his brilliance comes out a bit. Like There was a highlight the other day of the Oilers playing the Nashville Predators where Dreisaitl steps in over the blue line, Fires a wrister past, I believe it was Rene, might have been Saros. And the caption of the video was like, how can you stop Leon Dreisaitl? But who passes Dreisaitl that puck on his backhand? Basically like a 10-foot high saucer pass right on Dreisaitl's tape. It's the Nuge, man. Like He's so smart that you almost don't even notice him out there. And I think sometimes that gets him a little bit underappreciated here in Edmonton and certainly around the rest of the NHL. But the thing I appreciate most about Nuge is the way he scores that one goal all the time consistently. And two, just those little plays that that don't make it to the highlight reel, but you notice them night in, night out, and it makes them effective. Dan, let's talk Nuge for a minute. What is your favorite thing that either Nuge does, has done? Just Let's talk about the Nuge. Well, I think for me, it's like, Tyler kind of touched on it a little bit there, but it's just, it's he's the one guy that still exists in this franchise from the decade of darkness that has really escaped any kind of criticism, good and bad. Like he's, he's, he's a guy that flies on the radar. He's consistently, you know, a top guy on the ice, but he's never a guy that we've talked about, you know, having to trade because he's, you know, he, he's a liability or he's not good enough to be what he is. He's, he's a utility knife in this lineup. They, they can use him, you know, as a, as a winger with dry sidle. They can use him as the second line center. He could be a third line center if he needs to be like, he's, he's that guy that can just be everything for this team and not demand the, st- the spotlight that other guys that we've seen come and go, um, 
have have needed or have have gotten um and has has led to their ultimate demise in this franchise he's a guy that's seen seen us through a lot of things he's what i thought sam gagne would be for this franchise and i know one definitely thought sam gagne was going to be for this franchise but yeah nuge has been through everything he takes it he takes it on the chin every single year you know says all the right things and then comes out the next year still ticking so he's He's consistently a guy that, that we can count on in this lineup. I agree with everything you both said, but I'm going to keep at it because I love Nuge. Everybody knows it. I love Nuge. Outside of a couple of tough years in the middle of his career, I'm talking about 2015-16, he only played 55 games, had 34 points. And in 2016-17, he only had 43 points in the 82 games. And outside of those two years, he has been a remarkably consistent hockey player. and. Not only is he consistent in terms of what he puts up, this year I'd argue he had 61 points in 65 games. However, if you remember back to October, November, he had basically nothing going on. So the fact that he clawed his way back almost to being a point-per-game player with Dreisaitl and Yamamoto is pretty incredible. He was one of the top 10 best-producing forwards in the NHL after New Year's. The kid can play. And like Dan said, the thing that I really appreciate about him is you're going to see him in all situations. Five on five, PK, power play, Nuge is there. You want him on the wing? No problem. He's playing with dry sidle and he's doing it very effectively. You want him at center because maybe somebody's banged up or Tippett wants to run three centers in a row with Connor Leon Nuge? No problem. You've got that too. So I love the versatility about it. I love his attitude. I love the way he uh, he contributes in the community. He's very vocal. To, if you want to watch a horse race, you can go watch Infinite Patience. Thank you, Nuge. He had a- Infinite Patience undefeated by the way infinite patience uh yeah it raced in belmont this thursday i believe and how hilarious is that horse name for ryan nugent hopkins considering where he plays hockey it's great it's the best so i just want to finish off by saying ryan nugent hopkins i know you're listening to this you're not listening i appreciate you the three of us appreciate you and i can't wait for you to sign your next contract because i've committed to the bet said it here i've said it on real life when Nuge signs his extension, and I say when, I'm hopeful. I'm buying all three flavors of the Nuge jersey. The third, the home, the away, they're going to look great. And it's going to go with the one that I got during the 2017 playoff run as well. So four Nuge jerseys in my closet. What better What better look for me would there be than that? There wouldn't be. There wouldn't be. And that's it. That's all we got to say. Now, Dan, we're throwing back to Thomas Vanek. Yes. So the year... That we offer sheeted him. Uh, he had 84 points. Of course, it was a contract year, so that's going to help your numbers no matter what. Um, but that was his. That was only his second year in the NHL. He had spent some time during the lockout. It looks like no, it was just a full season in the AHL, uh, and he had one full season in the NHL before that. His rookie year, he had 48 points in 81 games. But then after we offer sheeted him, Buffalo matched the offer sheet. He had 64 points in 82 games. And then 64 points in 73 games, 53 points in 71 games, 73 points in 80 games. So pretty consistently in that 60-point range, but uh, but definitely not a player that you want to pay $50 million for over seven years. And four firsts. And four firsts, yeah. Like, That'd be exactly, like, Taylor Hall, you gotta, the Jordan Everlays, yeah. You gotta, could you imagine how bad the decade of darkness would have been paying Thomas Vanek 50 schmill and losing four firsts? That That's would have been... Whoo, mama. Well, like, what player, other than Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl, what player is worth that? You know what I mean? Like, that's four players worth of productivity 
in the first round. It's just, it just doesn't, it can't compute. Well, while you're looking at, while you're uh, digging around there, what did, um, and we can vamp here for a minute while you find it. What did, uh, what did Brian Burke give up to get Phil Kessel in Toronto? Uh, that was two first, I believe. It, and I believe it was the one pick that turned into uh Dougie Hamilton. Yeah, and, and wasn't Tyler Yeah, like he the the picks ended up being just incredibly costly and like dynamite players to the Bruins. Granted, they traded them both off. Um, but yeah, that trade there, it was a uh first round pick, Tyler Sagan, a second round pick in that twenty ten draft, Jared Knight, who didn't pan out, and a first rounder in twenty eleven, which was Dougie Hamilton. Can you imagine like some of these so like offer sheets even the even the even the uh, Dustin Penner one in hindsight the best part about that offer sheet really in my opinion is when they traded Penner away to get the pick that turned into Oscar Clefbaum I don't know yeah, yeah like if, if you're not trading for a generational if you're not offer sheeting a generational player it's just not worth it look at Nashville with uh with Shea Weber you know they they and then it was Philly, right? Philly was the team yeah. that offer sheeted him originally, and Philly then they matched it. Him, and yeah. then they had to, and then they had to walk away from him as well. But but neither Philly nor nor Nashville won that won in that offer sheet situation. Like I said, unless you're trading or you're signing an, a generational player, a Sidney Crosby, a Leon Draisaitl, a, a Pavel Bure, an Alexander Ovechkin, it's not worth it. Not not the forced first round picks, that's for sure. Well, isn't isn't there something too? Since you mentioned Shea Weber, I don't remember what it is, but like if he retires early. In the next year or two, don't doesn't Nashville get killed with a, ca- a salary cap recapture? Yeah, actually, it's in like my favorites on Google because I looked this up so much. So if Weber were to retire, I mean, when do you want to start the hypothetical? If he were to retire after this season, there would be uh, $4.9 million every year until he retires. So that's like... It, or sorry, um, for like ten years or something like that. Like it's crazy. So, I wonder if there's anything to do, and I guess there's not really because yeah, I love offer sheets. Like when the Montreal Canadiens offer sheeted Sebastian Ajo last year on Canada Day, it was mm-hmm. like it was exciting. I mean, they didn't offer enough, and Carolina quickly matched and whatever. But for a minute there, it was exciting. I love offer sheets because it's like. It throws a wrench in the old boys club that is the NHL GMs, and it kind of does something that you don't expect. So I wish there was a way that we could see more of them. Mm-hmm. But Dan is killing swatting flies or something. What are you doing over there? Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, I thought I was on mute. <laughs> so I, I just wish there was a way that we could have more offer yeah. sheets. And uh, d- don't touch our players, but like I would like to see other people to do. Um, the thing it's with gonna, I think. Yeah. Sorry, the thing with Shea Weber, I, I missed the hilarious part of that. It's 3.51 mil if he retires this past year. It, it slowly goes up. But in the final year of his contract, 2025-2026, if Shea Weber to retire, even though he's now on the Montreal Canadiens, the Nashville Predators would get a $24.5 million cap recapture penalty, which is like insane. You'd have to trade. <laughs> I'm sure we've talked about it on this podcast before. Like You would have to, it'd be a fire sale. You'd have to be like, well, we have to trade everyone now just to, like to handle this penalty of the Shea Weber offer sheet, which was hardly even Nashville's fault. It was more Philly's fault for kind of screwing them into this. Oh man. I just team chaos. I just, man, I want that to happen. I well, want that's it to the happen. Thing, so that's the thing with the rules. Like you're right, Tyler, Philly screwed them into it, but also Nashville didn't have to match the sheet. And then they would have had Philly's picks 
and they would have, you know, been able to restructure based off of that. Arguably, Shea Weber, while while it was a good part of that team, they had a really good decor already. Yeah, but in a market like Nashville, eventually they did trade them. But like at that yeah. time, in a market like Nashville, to go out and trade like the face of your franchise, yeah. I think even That's outside true. of like the picks and stuff. Of course, you would have gotten back. I think just like the damage of that look to your fan base would have been like it, it would have killed them. <laughs> yeah, oh, man, true. I, I kind of yeah. oh, would have been great. I love chaos. Yeah, um, and I've got a topic on chaos here. Um, last, but first, I want to talk about skipthedishes.ca because I'm hungry. I haven't eaten lunch yet, and I'm thinking that maybe I might order something. Maybe I might go. I noticed that there's a mucho burrito in my hood. Ooh. I feel like a burrito. I don't feel like putting pants on Tyler, but I do feel like a burrito. And my friends at SkipTheDigit.ca are the ones that can help me make those two goals happen. Hold no on. pants. Like, no, you but, eat something other than Arby's? I thought you only ate Arby's. Well, Dan, it's fun you say that because, as we mentioned last week, now Arby's is on Skip the Dishes in my head. And I've ordered them twice. <laughs> twice yeah. since last Friday. Because yeah, free delivery over 20 bucks. That's a challenge that I'm willing to accept 100% of the time. Arby's, stack up roast beef sandwiches until I get to 20 and bring them to me for free. Thank you, Skip the Dishes. As Tyler always says, tip your driver. Make sure you get yourself fed this weekend. Go to skipthedishes.ca. Get something to eat from thousands of local restaurants here and around the city. Um, Last week, boys, I didn't even think about this when we were doing our pre-show rundown, but last week we talked about the NHL draft lottery. We recorded the podcast before the lottery happened. Oh. We talked about what would happen if one of the play-in teams, just by chance, won the first overall pick. Now, if you look at the math, Tyler broke it down. Those teams had about a 25% chance of getting the first overall pick, which was more than Detroit had, considering their awful, awful season. As things shook out, Detroit dropped down to four, which is a kick to the pills at any Red Wings fan. Like I talked to Brock Sagan from dailyfaceoff.com. He's a Red Wings fan. He was livid on Friday night. So I want to talk a little chaos here, boys. The Edmonton Oilers, well, technically being, in my opinion, they're a fucking playoff team. You can call the play-in rounds whatever you want. That's a playoff team. Yeah. A playoff team is going to win the first overall pick, probably. What did you think when you saw it happen? What do you think now a week with a week of hindsight? Did the NHL do this lottery correctly or is there something that they fucked up? I'll start off by saying this is the result they did not want. They did not want a playoff team to win this. Although, if you look at it as a wrestling angle, we're still talking about it. Everybody was talking about it. So maybe it is what they wanted. What did you guys think about the draft lottery? Detroit dropping down to four and a play-in team will walk away with Lafreniere whenever the draft takes place well for me it's just like it just it just it really like puts an exclamation point on everybody everybody I think in this podcast and everybody that said it that why are you doing it at this point if if the if the tables were turned we had gone to the first round of the play-ins everybody that was eliminated got eliminated and then everybody that moved on was in the playoffs um, and then you had the draft lottery and one of those teams that got eliminated won the draft lottery, I don't think it's that big of a deal. But right now, it, it's turned into a conversation of, holy shit, look at all the teams that could win Lafreniere that aren't the Detroit Red Wings and the Ottawa Senators. And so the people are upset that the Leafs could win Lafreniere. 
People are upset that the Oilers could win Lafreniere. Like everybody down the list, because you've got so many teams that still have a chance at winning him, um, it's 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 served to piss off people even more than it than it should have. But I think you're 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 right, Bagnell. They were fine with this outcome just because it keeps the conversation going, even if that conversation is the NHL stupid for having rushed this. Yeah, like it's I I agree. Like from a PR perspective, it's good. Like you're getting people talking about the league, and I mean selfishly, I loved it. I was laughing hard. One, because the LA Kings aren't getting him, which is huge for the Oilers. You don't want a player like Lafreniere in your division. I mean, now there's a chance maybe he goes to someone like Calgary or Vancouver, which is perfectly possible as well. But I I like the idea of sitting here and going, man, can you imagine him? Like, who would he play with? Is he more of a McDavid winger or would he look good with Dreisaitl? And then you put Nugent (laughs) Hopkins up to McDavid's wing and then like maybe Yamamoto even on that line. And you put Cassidy. Like, it's fun to do that. Like, it's fun to sit there and be like, can you imagine if he went to Pittsburgh? You know, one Ramuski Oceanic giving the torch of the Penguins franchise to the other. Like, there's so many good storylines that can come out of this. I think it's hilarious. And for the people complaining about it, like, I know Brock Sagan was pissed. It, it's not like the NHL changed something in their lottery. Like, that, if the standings would have ended the way they were, it would have been the Winnipeg Jets winning him. So, for me, it's just like, they didn't change anything. They didn't rig it. The NHL's not capable of rigging draft lotteries. And I don't want to hear from people that they are, like, the team, no team would sit there and sign off and be like, fine. Like, do you think Detroit would sit there and be like, sit on their hands and go, yeah, sure, rig it. Yeah, it'll be funny. Yeah, 100%. Like, no, no one's doing that. So it, it was the outcome that happened. It could have happened in any other draft lottery. And I think it's good for the league to have, you know, I don't know about extra eyeballs, but some extra conversation around them. Also, how happy is Alex Lafreniere right now? that He's going to go to a contender. He's, he's going to a contender or a team that's at least in the conversation of a playoff team and not one that had a minus 122 goal differential in in Detroit. Nobody had a better night last Friday than Alex Lafreniere, in my opinion, because he didn't have to go to one of the shittiest teams in the league. Yeah. Now he's going to go somewhere that's, it's going to piss a lot of people off. Like Tyler said, uh, to me, so last I want to say about this is I want, I want you guys to pick a team that you do not want him to go for. Like if you had one, one veto card for a team, who would it be? I don't want him. Oh, man, I'm trying to decide Calgary or Vancouver. <laughs> I, I don't think I want him in. Uh, man, you know what? I don't want him in. Va- I don't want him in Vancouver. <laughs> I don't want him really? in Vancouver because, yeah, I'll tell you why. Because their team, in my opinion, their core, their young core is better than what they have in Calgary. I think adding Lafreniere into that mix would make them a very dangerous team, and I want no part of that. So I'm going to say Vancouver's my veto. (laughs) I I was really hoping you wouldn't make that point because I wanted to make that point. Honestly, the Flames' goaltending, I think, is a dumpster fire. I think their decor is just getting old and slow. And if they get Lafreniere, it's just kind of like, meh. Connor will still be the better player in the Battle of Alberta. Leon will still be the better player in the Battle of Alberta. I still wouldn't view the Flames as much of a threat. If he goes to Vancouver and he's playing on the wing of Elias Pettersson and their power play has Besser, Pettersson, Hughes, and Lafreniere, yeah, there's a reason to be legitimately worried about that team for a while. Yeah, so I don't like it. So Vancouver, it can't happen. It can't happen. For me, I think I'm going to say... I just don't want the Arizona Coyotes to get him. I think that your guys' point is correct, that Vancouver is is on the uptick. Calgary's probably on the downslide. I'm okay with Arizona just being shit forever. 
we need we need teams in our division that we're going to be able to leapfrog up above and be able to keep us in the high in the standing. So if Arizona can stay being a dumpster fire and keep their issues going, that you know, I think every year now, the last two years, we've just said it's been their injuries that has been the issue. But if Arizona can just continue to suck, just like the Kings, the Ducks, and the Sharks are going to do for the next couple of years, I think we'll be okay as a as a franchise. We'll we'll be able to pencil ourselves into the playoffs and be able to continue on going on. I think the funniest place for him to go though would be Toronto. Toronto having to make money decisions surrounding Lafreniere, like it would just be it would be hilarious to watch them continue to struggle with with the money on that. Tyler, one nice thing about the Oilers actually getting better this year is I don't know jack shit about the draft outside of Lafreniere is going to go first. When you look back at first overall picks, is he like kind of like in the mix with all of them, or is he ahead and is he above the rest of them? Like I'm looking, so with Ramuski in the queue, which is a is a higher scoring league, he had 112 points in 52 games. Looking at Connor in his draft year with Erie, he had 120 and 47 points in the in in the OHL. Like where yeah. does he where does he stack up with first overall picks? Like I'm, I'm not exactly a draft expert. I don't pretend to be, but I think where I would have a guy like Lafreniere is like a shade below Austin Matthews. Like I think that's kind of the area where he'll end up being. Like I don't think he's going to be a 50, 55 goal scorer or anything like that. He's not the level of McDavid. Like I don't think he's franchise player will carry you to a Stanley Cup, but I think he is perennial All Star, capable of being top ten in league scoring. Uh, is he? I don't even know if as good as Jack Eichel even, but you know somewhere around that range, like the Jack Eichel, Austin Matthews sort of area. There, he's certainly not generational like McDavid, but he's going to be a damn good player. There you have it. Scouting report from Tyler Uremchuk on Alex Lafreniere. Uh, gentlemen, big news obviously this week. Um, we didn't get a chance to talk about yet. Is Edmonton is going to be a hub city probably? Hasn't been officially announced, but it's kind of one of those things where it seems like it's going to be Edmonton and Toronto. Based on COVID numbers, Edmonton obviously and has been from the start one of the places that if we're going to pick a quote-unquote safest, Edmonton's probably it. So it looks like it's going to happen. What was your first thoughts on kind of when those tweets went out from Bob McKenzie and all the insiders that Edmonton was probably going to be it? I was surprised that they went to Canadian cities because we talked about this on real life for a long time. It felt like the conversation had drifted away from being about safety and it was about a bunch of other things that weren't COVID numbers. And the NHL decided whether they were kind of forced into this decision or wanted to do it all along, they decided to look and go, okay, you know what? Where's the safest spot to put our players? And it's Edmonton and Vancouver. I really think you have a hard time arguing anything other than that. I think they obviously would have preferred Vegas. There was a point where it seemed certain they were going to do Vegas and Vancouver. Um, but there's a, you know, the patriotic side of me goes, damn right. Hockey's coming back just to Canada and not to Las Vegas. That's going to be 40 degrees in the summer. It might be hard to keep ice there. Um, it's good. I was happy. I, I'm not over the moon. I'm not going to go sit outside to Williger rec center and watch the players go in for practice, but it, it's a nice little nod to Canada. I think it's good. Dan, what do you think? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's just civic pride for me more than anything. It's it's this the OEG and the Oilers have not given Oiler fans a lot to be proud of. But I think if they can really knock this out of the park and keep the logistics, you know, safe and sound, I think it's a great thing. My my issue all along has just been 
where's the other city going to be? And I think putting it in Toronto is a, is a better decision than putting it in Vegas. But I think you're right, Tyler. I wish, I wish it was Vancouver. Um, just from a, just from a purely, you know, number statistic standpoint of COVID. But, but yeah, at the end of the day, really proud that Edmonton is going to be the choice, even if it is the quote unquote fourth choice um, on the list. It's, it's, it'll be good to see. And I, and I believe that Edmonton can continue. And I think the fact that they, they, they are giving the allegedly, at least giving the Stanley cup and the conference finals to Edmonton. I think that's a real nod to the fact that this city has done well with the COVID numbers. Yes, there's been a spike recently, but, but we're really, we're, we're able to kind of keep it safe and, and keep them in a bubble. I also think it's going to be interesting too, as like assuming that the NHL is safely able to come back, right? That goes without saying. I think this is also going to be an interesting opportunity to showcase the city and maybe show some parts of it that people don't necessarily know about. I mean, even this week, fucking Ryan Kessler is on Twitter shitting on Edmonton as if anybody cares what Ryan Kessler thinks. But it could, you know what, if done well, and I assume our city officials and health officials and everybody would be ready to step up to this challenge, it could, be, it could provide an opportunity to showcase the city in a way that people hadn't necessarily seen before. There's absolutely, there's going to be a ton of like intermission profiles and, and just, just like, I think there's gonna be a lot of work to kind of show the bubble and how it works and, and prove to people that, that it's going to continue to be safe and, and that kind of thing. And I think that, and I think that then there's going to be the ability to show off the city of Edmonton because the cameras are going to be here already. Yeah. I, I think there's a little bit of that. Like, you know, you got people being like, Oh, the economic impact. And it's like, yeah, it's an economic impact for what? Like, one percent of businesses in Edmonton, which is a good thing, but it really it's a handful of restaurants and a couple of hotels, right? Maybe a busing company as well. Um, people keep going, oh, it's gonna help free agent. No, it's not gonna help Edmonton attract big name free agents. One, why do you want that? Almost every big name free agent signing turns out to suck. Two, you have the courting period there. Like players aren't gonna spend two months in Edmonton and then be like, they are at the top of my list for where I would want to play. That's probably not going to happen. But what I think it will do is I think it'll help Edmonton attract bigger events in the future as well. I think, you know, this could show the NHL that, hey, look how good we are at hosting events. Could help you get a draft, help you get an all-star game. Could help you get a World Cup of hockey maybe one day in the future as well. Not that they weren't going to get those things before this, but it's nice to, you know, have our city be able to flex its sort of muscles when it comes to hosting big events here. I, I, you know what, I didn't even think about the uh, actual NHL event side of the conversation. I would love more events to happen at Edmonton. Do you know what I mean? It'd be great to have another Heritage Classic in the city. It'd be great to have the draft in the summer. And, you know, we talk about Edmonton being beautiful in the summer. Well, let's say late June next year, let's pretend in fantasy land that we're all able to kind of go back to normal. And there's a June draft here in Edmonton when the city's beautiful and people get to explore the festivals and all these kids are in town and they're excited. And I hope that this opportunity is used to showcase the city for what it is, which is a fine, fine city, plenty to do. I don't know how it keeps getting a reputation that there's not a lot going on here. There's plenty, maybe this year. No, but nobody's doing anything anyway. Everything's fucking canceled. So I was excited about it. Um, Like Tyler said, the economic impact is going to be very minor, but I do think it's an opportunity for the city to show what it is. Maybe change a couple of minds out there. Maybe. Tyler did mention free agency. Uh, other news that came out this week is player contracts, because these guys are going to need visas to play in the summer. 
And contracts are supposed to be over as of, you know, a few days ago. Yeah. Normally it's June 30th. So now they're extended to October 31st. Free agency kicks off on the 1st. What are you guys expecting from free agency this year? And I know we've got plenty of time to talk about this between now and November, but what do you expect to happen, especially with a flat salary cap? I know Dan mentioned Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall's not signing a long-term deal in November, I don't think. He's probably going to want to do a short-term deal, bet on himself, and go fishing for a new deal afterwards. Well, what do you guys think is going to happen? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think we kind of we kind of touched about it or touched a few times there, just to, just talking about like the reality is for any guy going out there, you have to now fit into a team and into an NHL where you know the money has been escalating for years and owners have been planning for that money to escalate even as even even as of last year last summer you know the money was flowing with the the plan that the the salary cap was going to go up so it's it's going to change a lot of things i think you're going to see a lot less deals happen on november the 1st and that's going to kind of that's going to kind of drag out and and uh and guys are going to be nickel and diming and trying to find a place to fit in uh, but yeah, you're going to see a lot. Of, I think you're going to see a lot of show me kind of contracts, like you said, Bagno. Tyler Hall probably signs a contract where he has to, you know, again prove that he's that heart potential kind of player again. So it's it's there's a whole bunch of interesting questions that come from it. It's it's wild to it's wild to speculate, and it's and it's you know it's it's hard to know what's going to happen. You know, to me that the biggest thing that I take away from that, and it's a, an aside here, but is that if free agency starts on November first. That tells me that they have to have the Stanley Cup playoffs done by November the first, right? That's their that's their their cutoff date, I would imagine, and that probably puts a timeline on. You know, if there is an outbreak in in one of the bubble cities, that that maybe pushes the season to an end. So yeah, there's a lot of things to think about when it comes to that November first date. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Actually, having that as like a firm deadline now for the contracts, like you can't have it go further than that. So that means they have. I mean, you probably don't even really want it going further than like October 1st because you want to give yourself time to do the draft and stuff like that as well and have a little bit of downtime. So they are going to be on a tight schedule when the season resumes. Um, I think free agency this year is probably going to be pretty quiet. Um, There will be teams with a little bit of money to throw around, but those teams might not be Stanley Cup contenders or anything like that as well. Um, I, I wonder what it'll do for sort of the lower range guys. And I'm looking at the Oilers here, like Mike Smith. The goaltending market this offseason is going to be really crowded. I think there's eight or nine guys potentially that are more attractive free agent options than Mike Smith. That's not a knock on his play from last year. It's a knock on, you know, it's a comment on his age and sort of just how good those other guys are. So what's Mike Smith going to take? Because I don't think he's getting two years with or two mil with two million in performance bonuses this time with the Oilers. I think he's getting one mil with one million in performance bonuses this time. A guy like Tyler Ennis, who might have been sitting there and going, hey, I'm going to have a good couple months with Edmonton and then cash in come free agency. Might have to sit, look back at the Oilers and go, you know what, maybe playing in my hometown for $1.75 million and getting a chance to maybe play with Connor McDavid and some skilled centermen is the right career move for me. So, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see. Like The top-end guys, we kind of know. I, I think they'll get taken care of, and I think if they want to sign for big money, they'll have to go to a team that's not a contender. If they want a one-year deal, there'll be contenders that find ways to make it work. But those mid-range guys, I wonder just how much they'll drive down prices. Well, it's going to be, I mean, there's not going to be a lot of dollars to go around. And it's kind of like you said, the the high-end guys are going to get what they're going to get. 
and it, how much of the pie is left for everyone else is going to be interesting to see. I wonder how much, how many players that would be NHLers on any other year end up playing a year in Sweden or something just to be like, I, I'm not getting exactly what I want. Maybe I can get more in Sweden or the KHL if I play there for a year. I don't know. I'm just I'm throwing out ideas. Or it's going to be weird. I mean, the Oil Kings just had this happen where Vlad Alistrov, one of their better players, in my opinion, is going to Russia for a year. He's not even going to come back. And I wonder how many European guys might get comfy at home and go, man, still no vaccine, going to be no crowds in the NHL. My best offer is $1.5 million to go play with Carolina or New Jersey. But you know what? My hometown team here in Sweden is offering me $950,000, and I can stay here, get a bit of a different experience, and you know, maybe a year from now, I resume my NHL career when we are finally post-coronavirus. But I think that's an interesting point. Again, there's going to be, there's, there's just interesting storylines that we'll be following. You know, we're going to be doing this podcast every week as we always do, and we're going to be following this all the way through. So it's going to be interesting to see where we're at today on July 3rd and what we think of when we get closer to November 1st, because maybe by then everything's fucking different. This is this year, especially you can't predict anything that's going to happen in sports or in life or anywhere else. Uh, another news from this week, um, really quickly, uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago with kids having opportunities to play ruins. Well, yesterday the Oilers and Canucks announced that the Young Stars tournament in Penticton is canceled. Uh, again, that was one of those ones where the Canucks, Oilers, Jets, and Flames. They had to send all their best prospects to Penticton. They play in a fun little tournament, get to showcase what they can do. Fans get an idea of who the next round of prospects are going to be. That's all canceled again this year. Um, it's weird. It's another one of those things that you don't maybe necessarily think about where a level below pro sports is being, you know, being impacted and opportunities being taken away from some kids. So I was bummed to see that. Not exactly unexpected. But it happened, right? But it's a it's a, it's a thing, and and you're 100 percent right. It's 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 terrible to see from a low end part of thing, but it's interesting to see on the professional level the shifts in mentality that are going to be changing. Uh, you know, maybe this maybe this is the you know the the great equalizer of contracts now, where things just kind of come back to a normal level. Who knows what you know three years from now brings with the salary cap starting to rise again, but, but it is, you know, to go, to go off on a bunch of different tangents or not to go off on a bunch of different tangents, but, you know, thinking about people talking with the CFL becoming a feeder league for the NFL and, and, you know, the shifts in university sports and Canadian, in Canadian uh, collegiate circles, it's, it's, there's, there's so many things that are all happening at the same time and, and they're being, they're being forced to happen because of COVID um, you you said it earlier, bag milk, and it and it rings true again. It's you know it's an interesting time to be a to be an observer of all these things and be watching them kind of you know all have to take place at the same time. But it is but it is a it is a it's a fascinating time, if not the same you know same kind of at the same time being a sad time for a lot of a lot of different things. Yeah, I just I, I wanted to bring up the Young Stars tournament being canceled. It's just yeah, it's a bummer, right? Yeah, and it's a bummer I think for those kids. On a, on a larger scale, like what's going to happen with the American Hockey League next season? What's going to happen with Major Junior as well? I agree with Dan. Like three years from now, we might look back at a lot of part of 
a lot of parts of the sports landscape and they could be like almost completely unrecognizable. Yeah. And again, we're going to follow it along, but um, it's going to be interesting that sometimes it's going to be sad and it's going to be troubling, but um, we'll have to hope for the best. Hopefully we can get a little sense of normalcy sooner than later. Uh, gentlemen, we only got a couple of minutes left in the podcast and that means it's time for Tyler to get his buttons ready because it is, we are looking at the oodle noodle hot and cold performers of the week. Currently, our friends at Oodle Noodle, if you go into any of their 13 locations for a curbside or takeout order, they're donating 10% of those orders to local charities, and they're moving them around. So there's different charity every week. They're also making food donations right from the Noodle Factory here in Edmonton to various um, initiatives around the city as well. So go check out a Oodle Noodle nearest to you as well as i got word from wanye the other day that the new hamptons location which would be number 14 is set to open pretty quickly so there's going to be another opportunity for you to get some nudes out on the west end as well as we always do we start with the cold performers of the week starting off with the veggies mr tyler your Ramchuk, you are in control of the buttons and you are in control of starting off this week's oodle noodle cold performers of the week my cold performer of the week is a quick one. It's a short one. It's Ryan Kessler for acting like a piss baby on Twitter, leaving his online persona, well, the exact same way we kind of expect it to be, the same way he was on the ice. Shout out to Kessler for being a baby. Hard to argue with that one, Mr. Nation Dan, your oodle noodle cold performer of the week. Well, I was just robbed of my pick, um, but... Uh... My cold performer of the week instead will be. <laughs> um, Ooh, he's, he's he's looking. Yeah, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Uh, his brain. You can agree with me. It's okay. uh, well, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. Come on now. Uh, let's <laughs> say it's the uh, the lady on my Twitter feed where I found a video of a lady just chugging ranch dressing. That's awesome. There you go. My cold performer of the week. Oh, that's cold. Sometimes you need to get a good. Uh, well, you know what the doctors say, Dan. Eight glasses of ranch <laughs> per day. Uh, my noodle noodle cold performer of the week is, and I'm going to complete the hat trick here. I also had Ryan Kessler down, but I'm going to stick with it, but in a different angle. My dear friends, my dear fellow Oiler fans, my dear Edmontonians, fellow Edmontonians, you guys are too easy. <laughs> You're too easy. Ryan Kessler only had to tweet out that Edmonton was not a real team, and you guys took the bait, yep. hook, line, and sinker. So my cold performer of the week, and please, this is just me shining some light on an opportunity for us all to improve. My cold performer of the week is Edmontonians biting so quickly on Ryan Kessler's bullshit. Go out hooking. If you need to make some money, head out there. Or start an OnlyFans account, it's safer. On the opposite side of the ledger, we are looking at the Oodle Noodle Hot Performers of the Week. Something special from the last seven days since we last spoke. Gentlemen, Mr. Nation Dan, I'm going to give it to you first. Your Oodle Noodle Hot Performer of the Week. Well, it's uh, it's going to go out to the Edmonton Donair Bracket, the Oilers Nation Donair Bracket, mm-hmm. because uh, running the Nation Donair Bracket, which we I think we've all now seen that Famous Donair won that, uh, it actually spurned on some people in Nova Scotia and just announced today uh, there's a, a local blog in Halifax that is running its own Donair bracket because they were so upset by ours. So it's 
everybody at the uh, at the nation here that that was a part of their Donair bracket uh, for uh, firing up the origins of the Donair. It's chicken. It's fried chicken. I like fried chicken. There you I mean, go. Who, who doesn't, little buddy? I also saw that. I, you know what? And some of them were funny too. Like nobody in the Edmonton bracket said anything really about Halifax. But, like, if you go into the tweet replies to the Halifax bracket, there is, like, a lot of inferiority complex going on about us doing a Donair bracket in Edmonton where they didn't do one there. So I thought it was funny. As Dan from Halifax, Mm -hmm. I have had both Donairs in many many varieties. And a a Halifax Donair is different than an Edmonton Donair, and that's okay. You can try different things. You know, pizza in Italy is different than pizza in New York. That's okay. But people people that get smug about it, it's just like, what are you even doing with your life? It's the same thing. Like, one thing, I, when I was doing Brumcast for Oilers Wins, sometimes I wouldn't have any Brum. The fine folks at Rick Hand didn't give me any yet, or I ran out or whatever, so I'd have a beer instead. It's the same thing as beer snobs to me. I got no time yeah. for you beer snobs. Drink whatever the fuck you want, man, as long as it's a nation beer. Uh, <laughs> as, as the great Tyler Remchuk once said, yellow beer is yellow beer. It's true. <laughs> he did say that. I don't remember what episode that was on, but it was on this podcast. Mr. Tyler Remchuk, your Oodle Noodle Hot Performer of the Week. Ah, going to give a shout out to a good Edmonton group, an Edmonton metal band, Striker. They won a Juno for best, uh, I believe it was best metal album. We had Chris Seeger on from the band Real Life Podcast yesterday. Go give that a listen. He's a great guy, a great Oilers fan, Striker is a great band. Congratulations to them on their Juno win. Put some respect on my name. And they fucking wail too. I was listening to some Striker after we did the interview. That was fun. Uh, just to wrap things up really quickly, my Oodle Noodle Hot Performer of the Week is, drumroll, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Because it is episode 93 of Oilers Nation Radio is the Ryan Nugent Hopkins episode. And I'm going to give him the Hot Performer of the Week just because. Just because I like him. And bonus marks go for that amazing playoff duster he's already rocking when he showed up to rogers place yesterday he looks great he plays great can't wait to watch him again and like tyler said earlier i can't wait to watch the unstoppable low snapshot one-legged fist pump celly i can't wait there you have it oodle noodle hot and cold performers of the week i want to go ahead and thank our friends at sherwood ford the giant skipthedishes.ca and oodle noodle for making all this possible and of course you for listening downloading and subscribing wherever you get your podcast from i am bag milk from tyler yaramchuk and nation dan i want to thank you all for being here thanks for listening have a great weekend everybody shout out damien best wishes thanks for listening to oilers nation radio a member of the nation network of podcasts make sure to follow us on all of our social media to stay up to date and never miss a podcast Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.